Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. One, one pitch, fastball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. We're back on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. This is Chris Towers joined by Scott White. And we're going to be going over a recent rotisserie 12-team mock draft that we did. Scott, are you excited? To finally be talking about mock drafts. To finally be drafting, you know, regularly. We're doing multiple drafts every week. We did three last week, kind of. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we're going to be we're gonna be mock draft out by the time March gets here, let me tell you. But there will still be more to do, even at that point. Yeah, I'm excited about this. This is, we did a couple of mock drafts early in the offseason, but I think this is the first one we're actually breaking down on the podcast. Yes. And, you know, usually I can... Usually after a mock draft, I either really like my team or I don't like it, but I can see why I did it. And I, I feel like there's certainly a chance for it to go right. This, this, this one I just hate. I just hate my team. I just I feel like my approach was clearly wrong. And I amended it in the following mock draft that I'm sure we'll get to breaking down at some point. But today we're going to talk about an approach that I don't think was right. Yeah, a 12 team, five by five rotisserie mock draft we're going to get to that shortly but since we didn't get to any emails yesterday i do want to make sure that we get to emails today and so with that we're going to start off with the email of the day and this one's from matthew and since we're talking about a mock draft uh i figured it would make sense to to go with a draft related question a draft strategy question so matthew writes in and if you want your email right on the show fantasy baseball at cbsi.com is the place to send them uh, Matthew writes in, I'm picking 12th in a 12-person, 6x6 Roto League, and he's leaning towards starting the draft with a Juan Soto, Nolan Arenado. So he he's trying to decide between three combinations. Juan Soto and Nolan Arenado, Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, or Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer with the first two picks. Which of those trios would you prefer? Once again, Juan Soto, Nolan Arenado, so tons of power, great average, average. no stolen bases. Yep. Trey Turner or Max Scherzer gets you your stolen base guy, gets you your ace, uh, but you're going to have to make up for for the run production coming back around. Or two aces, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer with a combined age of about 187 years old. So which of those trios do you prefer, Scott? Well, prior to this mock draft, I probably would have said Juan Soto and Nolan Arenado, but one of the changes I'm making after having experienced... uh, my second experience, I guess, drafting for Roto in this player pool. I'm going with Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. Mm-hmm. I'm going with where I think the skills scarcity is. And that's stolen bases and high-end starting pitching. And uh, confident the run production I'll be able to fill in later. So here's one thing I would say about that is often you can find value in drafts, especially in a snake draft, by pivoting to where the rest of your drafters are not going. And everyone is going to be drafting steals and starting pitchers early. Like that's that's I know. that's I know. that's what the the industry has decided, you know, I, a lot of the drafts I've done, I've seen four starting pitchers go in the first round. I've seen three or four more go in the first in the in the next round, maybe even more. Uh which is not something that we're we're necessarily used to. We'll also see, you know, stolen base guys really get pushed up. And so that's the only thing is it's when you're drafting the same way everyone else is. One of the issues with, with that is you just have to be better at drafting that way than everyone else to, to succeed. And so that I'm not saying you're you're, wrong. I think you're overstating and and you're not doing it, you know, to be manipulative. It's just, no, I am. I'm a very, I'm a deeply manipulative person, Scott. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, you know, the common way of saying these things. Everybody is drafting that way. Everybody is not drafting that way. There will be some other people in your league that are also drafting that way, but it won't be everybody. And because of, and I think you need to be one of the people that is doing that because. Well, now everyone's going to be drafting that way, Scott. 
what? Well, now everyone's going to be drafting that way. <laughs> no, come on. People don't listen to me. What are you talking about? <laughs> Unless the whole landscape changes. Um, there, it's just really hard to gain a true advantage uh, at a position, at a hitter position. Just to 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 look at your look at your lineup, what what you have at each spot, and look at somebody else's lineup and what they have at this at every spot, and say, okay, this one is clearly better than that one. This one may have invested more in it than that one, but in terms of actual expected contributions, it's 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 just not that big of a gap between the elites at hitter and the next rung of the the hitter ladder, and at least when you're excluding stolen bases from the conversation. And to illustrate your point, we'll, we'll go through a lot more of this with the Roto Mock, but when you look at ADP, let's say you go Trey Turner and, and Max Scherzer, or let's say you even go Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer at that, at that 12 turn, 12-13. Uh, Coming back around 36-37, some guys who are available, the best pitcher is Blake Snell uh, or Patrick Corbin, the best hitters are Charlie Blackman, Jordan Alvarez, George Springer, and even Adalberto Mondesi if you wanted to go Trey Turner. Those guys can all do, like, they're they're not the real thing, but they're a very convincing uh, interpretation of what those guys can do. Like, Jordan Alvarez could just be Juan Soto this year. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's, Charlie Blackman could be uh, J.D. Martinez. I mean, yeah. or... I mean, Charlie Blackman... I see Charlie Blackman as a first-round caliber hitter who's often available in round four. And I, I feel like even going into round five, you see a lot of those guys. And the thing is, even beyond that, I mean, Josh Donaldson, who was a clear must-start uh, top 10, I think, in both formats, third baseman, is my 15th-ranked third baseman. He might not go until we get to the double-digit rounds, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, is he that much worse than Chris Bryant? No. I mean, he's no, not the version, Chris Bryant not the version of age. Yeah, not the version of Chris Bryant we've seen since the MVP season, especially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris Bryant may have more upside, but in terms of expected outcome, is it really that different? No, it's not. No. And then when you consider also, okay, so let's say it does go wrong for J.D. Martinez. What do you have to fall back on? Well, I mean, we're coming off a year where so many hitters who weren't even on anybody's radar went on to have very productive must-start type seasons. I mean, Tommy Lastello when he was healthy, Gio, Gio Urshela became that. Guys who were just... No more names that rhyme with those two, but there were other guys. Yeah, no, there were definitely other guys. I mean, Jorge Soler was this to an extent. I think he was drafted late uh, and probably in five outfielder leagues last year, but he wasn't some like universal, everybody has to have him kind of guy. Austin Meadows was at best a late rounder. And like the lists could go on forever. Antonio Sensatella. Yeah. Kayoni Kella. Sensatella. Those are the only guys that, that rhyme with. Timeless. You didn't you didn't pick up on it, I guess. Oh, okay. You're going with the rhyme thing yeah, still. Yeah. I gotcha. I gotta beat it until it uh until it dies. Yeah. All right, let's move on to some news and notes. We've got a regulators question before we get to the mock draft as well. That's exciting. And hopefully I'll be able to do the music just like Adam Azer, because I'm in a professional podcast studio and I am a professional. But first the news and notes. Chris Bryant lost his grievance. The Cubs have his uh have control over him for the next two seasons instead of the one that he was asking for, which, not surprising. Teams win these grievances all the time. That's how this thing works. Um, But in the immediate aftermath of that, there were a lot of reporters noting that this makes it easier and more likely, perhaps, that the Cubs will trade Chris Bryant. So we still have, um, you know, Chris Bryant and Mookie Betts, especially as potential superstars who could get traded. Yeah, we're getting pretty close to the start of spring training here. So I'm not optimistic any of them will. Maybe at some point this season, like maybe deadline deals if these teams are out of it. But I'm I'm not I'm not really counting on any of the big names out there being traded. 
Uh, Starling Marte, I was surprised he was still able to get traded this late in the offseason. But that's a case where last year, or is there two years left? I guess he has two years of the contract left. But the Pirates clearly not playing for anything this year. There is Their payroll is the lowest in baseball by yeah. about $8 million right now, I believe. Yeah. They had really nothing to gain by holding on to Starling Marte, especially considering he was coming off, in my mind, a career year. So uh, you could understand that a little better than you could understand Brian or Betts or Arenado. Or, I, I mean, I guess Arenado has the whole uh, discontent, very public discontentment thing happening. But even him, I'm not, I'm not counting on him getting traded. All right, Luis Urias had surgery to repair a fractured hammock bone in his left hand, expected to miss six to eight weeks, so he could be ready for the start of the season. There was, you know, the hope that he would be the uh, starting second baseman for the second baseman, right? No, shortstop. Keston Hero would be the starting second baseman. Yes, yes. Uh, if, yeah, that was the only, shortstop was the only place where Urias was going to have a chance of making the opening day lineup, and I, I still kind of feel like it was a long shot. I really like him. Uh, I mentioned that on yesterday's podcast. I, I love what he's done at AAA. You look at his production at AAA. He's still only 22. Um, his production at AAA wasn't that dissimilar to what Hero was doing last year. You know, he was really crushing the ball. Yes, it was the PCL, but he has always hit well at AAA. And then he's gotten to the majors and hasn't really been able to make contact, but he's still so young and his, the, the pedigree's still there that I was really looking forward to buying him as a sleeper in pretty much all my drafts. And now, you know, because of this, I'm not sure if we might, it, it's possible that we can overstate the impact of the fractured hammock bone uh, injury and surgery, because I did some research last night and there have been some studies that have shown there were no uh, year one or year two effects of guys coming back from that surgery. Now, I don't know if that's definitive because the, you know, my prior on the hammock bone injury has always been that you eventually get your power back, but it's, you know, it can take a month or two. Uh, we did see Matt Olson come back right away yeah. and crush the ball last year. So that's one point in the favor, but I haven't seen anything on like the first month or two back. But what it does do is, you know, a 22 year old who's struggling in the majors, good prospect pedigree, but not guaranteed a spot. Now he's going to miss most of spring training. That's really where it hurts him. And so, yeah. probably yeah, off the... Yeah, he'll have to prove himself in the minors first. Yeah, deep you know. sleeper now. Yeah. Yep. The All we have left are some small moves. The Royals signed Greg Holland to a minor league deal, and the Cubs re-signed David Phelps uh, after turning down his option early in the offseason. So, you know, the Cubs have finally decided to join the rest of baseball in making moves this offseason. So that's exciting. Um, not really. <laughs> and we've got are you ready scott first yes. first regulators in a while i feel mm -hmm. like so we've got a regulator segment right now oh yeah should i do yes. the uh like adam does i think you do your own thing although i, I feel like you kind of telegraphed that so hard when adam just kind of like Oh. It creeps up on you with Adam. You hear that music and you're like, oh, I know what time it is now. Yeah, yeah. You love to see it. Regulators. All right. Brendan in Atlanta writes in. Should I leave the music on? I already turned it off. I'm not as good as Adam at this, as you've already said. Hi, Bale, Slater, and Yelich. So in my league last season, someone dropped Christian Yelich during our playoffs because the Brewers didn't move Yelich to the I.L., Instead of leaving him as day-to-day -day since MLB rosters went to 40-man, we see this all the time in September uh, with injuries. There's not really any reason to put guys on the, uh, on the IL unless you're doing it with a 60-day. Uh, Brandon was a playoff team, saw this, picked up Yelich, and now wants to use him as one of his keepers. He gets two keepers each year. One of the non-playoff teams is arguing that it's unfair to keep Yelich because not all teams are active during the playoffs. My argument is that while not all teams are active, the season is still going on, and I claimed him as the ninth out of 12 potential waiver spots, so other teams had a legit chance. Additionally, our league did not have a rule in place saying the keeper-eligible roster is locked at the end of the season. We have now implemented that as a rule to make this guy happy, but what should be done? Should I get to keep Yelich, or is that totally unfair? Thanks for the help, guys. Love the show. Brendan in Atlanta. What do you think, Scott? I think if... 
there wasn't a rule against it, uh, you should be allowed to do it. I, I don't always, know. I, I don't know why the that. guy dropped Yelich. He, he needed he didn't a, want he to keep Yelich. Needed a roster spot. I've been so in that. Bad I've that been he was in that situation. To not keep Yelich. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it was a situation where he couldn't keep him for whatever reason. Uh, his eligibility had dried up. He was a first round pick, and you can't keep first rounders. Something like that. I. Yeah. I'm in a football well, he's league. still got to consider the collateral damage of dropping Yelich. Yeah. If there wasn't a rule on the books, surely this is not the first guy who was ever picked up um, after, as a keeper after somebody else dropped him. Surely that's not the first time this has ever happened in this league. I guess... It, I, I guess it might have been a case where... Well, I don't even know about that. Let's just go on to the next one. That's the only regulator's question, Scott. That's why I brought oh. the music up, because we're closing out the segment. Okay, I heard the music go back on again. I thought it was coming back. I nope. thought you were hurrying me off the stage, like at the <laughs> Academy Awards. No, no, no. This is, uh, this is like the Grammys last weekend. We can just go as long as we want. All right. We thanks. got a mock draft to break down. We do have a mock draft to break down. Thanks so much for sending in your email. Brendan, you've been regulated. All right, let's go on to that mock draft that we've been talking about. You can find the, the results of this mock draft if you want to follow along at, at cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. It's a 12-team rotisserie mock draft dominated by steals and starting pitcher earlier. We'll tweet it out uh, at CBS Scott White. At CBS Scott White, at Tower CBS, if you want to follow along. And this was a 12-team roto mock draft. Scott and I picked 11th and 12th. Scott, you were 11th, I was 12th, so we were right back and forth. And actually, interestingly enough, we had that email earlier. I took Max Scherzer and Trey Turner at the uh, mm. at the 12-13 turn. So we'll see what that team looks like. But here's who was in, in invited and participated in this draft. Jorge Montanas from Fantrax, Adam Azer from CBS Sports, Phil Panebshek from Patent & Company, Frank Stamfel from Fantasy BFFs, Matt Williams from the Turn 2 Podcast, Mike Curlin from Fantrax, Andrew McClintock from Fantasy Front Office, Heath Cummings, you know him, George Maselli, editor for CBS Sports Fantasy, Tim McLeod, Prospects 361, and of course, Scott White and Chris Towers. And, and Scott, do you want to, let's start by taking a look at your team. Because this okay. is, it's not a team that you like. It's not a team that I like. And no. this is a two-catcher Middle infield, corner infield, five outfield, you, uh, utility, and the nine pitcher spots. Standard, Roto. Let's hear your roster. Okay, so my catchers are Wilson Contreras and Travis Darno. Okay. Uh, you know, nothing to complain about there. Freddie Freeman's my first baseman. Can't complain there. DJ LeMahieu's second baseman. That's fine. Eduardo Escobar, third baseman. Also fine. Not, you know, not one of the... Not one of the clearly I I led, waited until a later tier to fill that position. Um but Escobar had what did he have last year? 30 35 homers and 118 RPI. Yeah. So it's it's not like anybody really has a problem with him as their starter at the position. Uh Xander Bogarts is my shortstop, Marcus Simeon middle infielder, Josh Bell corner infielder. Uh outfield is Joey Gallo, Max Kepler, J.D. Davis, Aristides Aquino. This happened before yeah. the Nicholas Castellanos signing. Sam Hilliard. And then Yuli Gurriel is my utility player. So it's not like you look at my hitting and, okay, there's a bunch of holes there. Maybe outfield. I'm, I'm taking yeah, some weak. chances on some less established guys. Um, but it's not like, wow, look at all those look at all those positions where he has a problem coming out of this draft. The problem is in a 12 team league, I don't think you're going to look at much of anybody's roster and feel that way. It's the problem for me is where do I fall short in terms of the categories? And I basically steals. punted on steals. Here. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to get zero. Obviously Simeon will give me a dozen or so. Sam Hilliard and Aquino, if he plays, are going to contribute some in that category. But I'm projected to come in last in steals, and I should because I didn't draft 
a single base dealer. This wasn't necessarily my intention. I was not willing to extend myself as far as everybody else for stolen bases. And I've, I've been kind of dismissive of the way the industry as a whole has been approaching base dealers this year. Been kind of looking down on them for for uh, going so hard after stolen bases. But I got left out because of that. And it's a problem. It's a problem. And, and what makes it as a problem is my pitching staff. So here it is. Justin Verlander, Patrick Corbin. Those were two of my first four picks. Obviously, both of them are good. Third is Hyunjin Ryu. Fourth is Kyle Hendricks. Fifth, Dallas Keuchel. Six, Carlos Martinez. And then the closers are Ken Giles, Mark Melanson, and Scott Oberg. Yeah, it's I think not... it's a fine pitching staff. It's fine. The thing that, that strikes me about the pitching staff, you know, especially because the offense isn't great. It's good, but you punt it on steel, so that kind of drags the whole thing down. But yep. it's 2020, and you only have two guys who will probably get 200 strikeouts. Yeah. That yeah. you're pro I would guess you're projected to finish pretty close to the bottom in strikeouts. I am. And I am. that's that's tough. That that to me, you know, not to be too critical because I'm sure my team uh, has holes of its own, but that to me, like if you're gonna punt on stolen bases, the whole point of that is you're gonna be great everywhere else. And I don't you didn't yeah. land that with Because this. I didn't go hard enough after pitching. Yeah. Ultimately is what it comes down to. I invested two of my first four picks in it. And I thought, okay, I got a really nice head start here. Uh, I'm going to relax on that for a while and start grabbing up these hitter values, which, you know, I, I feel like in terms of just hitting for average, hitting for power, driving in runs, my hitting is pretty strong. But there are so many guys out there that can do that. And it was just round after round, I said, how could this guy still be here? I have to take him. How could this guy still be here? I have to take him. And then soon enough, I look up, and the best pitcher available is Hyunjin Ryu. He yeah. becomes my third guy. And it's it's just not good enough to make up for to make up for a uh you know in the hitting categories the fact that I basically punted on one. Yeah. It's not good enough. And the thing is it could beyond just okay, I, already I I haven't given myself a chance of competing in certain categories just right off the bat. If anything goes wrong with Verlander or Corbin, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty much screwed. And and things could certainly go wrong. Things could go wrong for any starting pitcher, uh, but especially you know a 37 year old like Verlander. Uh, if something goes wrong for Ryu, even and certainly he has an extensive injury history, then I'm in trouble. So it's it it was my takeaways from this draft were twofold. One, I have to give in and prioritize steals a little more early, especially from the guys that are high-end bats. I should have at the round one-two turn. You mentioned your first two picks were Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. My first round pick was Justin Verlander. My first round pick should have been Trey Turner. If you can get a high-end hitter who is going to contribute in stolen bases in this format, you absolutely should. And my second takeaway is that I shouldn't have relaxed at starting pitcher. I should have trusted that the hitters that would still be on the board, I, I should have trusted that um, there would still be quality hitters on the board since there, I ended up overkilling it in like the home run and RBI categories and, uh, and grabbed the starting pitchers. Even though it felt wrong, even though it felt unnatural to pass, pass up these high-end hitters just because of my experience playing fantasy and just feeling like it's a great value. I should have just held my nose and drafted the pitchers because once they're gone, they're gone. And what you're left with is um, some pretty uninspiring choices. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, we'll, we'll move on to my team. And, you know, I actually have some of the same deficiencies uh, that you do in looking at it. You know, I only have one, maybe two real 200 strikeout guys, a couple guys with, you know, perhaps more potential. And then, you know, the projections don't love 
my stolen base numbers. I'll, I'll say I think there's probably more upside there, but we'll go through it. Uh, my catchers are Buster Posey and Steven Vogt. I've been either, you know, I'm willing to take Gary Sanchez, Yasmani Grandal, JT Real Muto if they go to the right pl- place, but otherwise I'm fine with waiting uh, at catcher. You know, I think there's a, a decent opportunity for Buster Posey to mount back. I actually like Steven Vogt as a number two catcher. You look at what he did last year in San Francisco, and I think there's um, potential, especially because Arizona just hasn't hasn't shown that they want to just rely on one guy, one guy at catcher over the last few years. We'll see if that changes with Carson Kelly with a year under his belt, but I'm fine with that. Uh, Anthony Rizzo at first base, Gatel Marte at second base, Vladimir Guerrero at third base, Trey Turner at shortstop, and Corey Seager and Justin Turner at the middle infield and corner infield positions. I'm really happy with those infield options. I think there's a lot of you know, upside with Vladimir Guerrero and, and Trey Turner. I'm really high on Corey Seager this year at where you can draft him. And, uh, you know, let me see where he went. Because it was, yeah, 133rd overall. I'm, I'm thrilled with the potential, yeah, with the opportunity to take great. him there. I think it's really hard to come out of a draft, even a roto draft with the two extra infield spots, feeling like you don't have a good infield. Yeah, but mine's especially good, Scott. <laughs> no need to do the backhanded compliment. And then my outfield, you know, again, I we both actually in this draft got bit by the uh, Nick Castellanos signing because I took Nick Senzel. I've also got Joe Adele. Now, this is a draft where we didn't have a bench spot, but I wanted to take Joe Adele. We didn't draft benches. In a normal league, I would draft an outfielder who can start for at least that first month or two uh, where Joe Adele probably won't be in the majors. You'll have to draft Odell as a starter. Yes. Obviously, you'll be able to then put him on your bench and have somebody else step in for a while. And I took him 181st overall. So it's not like the price is super high for him. So I'm good with that. Uh, Then I've got Michael Brantley, Nomar Mazzara, and Fran Mil Reyes. Obviously, my outfield is not as strong as one I thought it was when we thought there was a chance Nick Senzel could be playing every day from opening day. That doesn't look likely now. Um and it's just, it would be different if I had a bench. So it, it's not super strong. And then I've got Jordan Alvarez as my utility. So it's a strong, um, it's a strong offense. I think there's, you know, this might be the team that's projected to win batting average. Uh, I haven't looked at it, but, you know, it, it's it's a good offense. But then my, my starting pitching staff, you know, like yours, has some holes, has some guys who need bounce back seasons. And that's kind of what I went for with this starting pitching staff. So I've got Max Scherzer. He was my number 12 overall pick. Um, And then my number two is probably Carlos Carrasco or Corey Kluber betting on bounce backs for both of those guys. Got John Gray, who I actually, John Gray feels like he's kind of, everybody's just kind of over him after we were hoping for so much potential. And he's actually coming off a pretty good season. So, you know, I'm not quite sure why everybody's given up on him. I've got Kenta Maeda and Luke Weaver, two guys who, you know, I think will be good when they pitch. Hopefully they'll pitch more, you know, especially in Weaver's case. Hopefully he'll be able to avoid the injury that kind of derailed his 2019 when he was breaking out. Uh, And then my pitchers. Oh, sorry. I think Luke Weaver's your fourth best here. If I was just, if I was listing them in order of, Impact I think they'll make. I'd go Scherzer, Carrasco, Kluber, Weaver. And it that is it's a staff that could go really, really wrong. I have basically one sure thing. And then my really my closers are Edwin Diaz, Sean Doolittle, and Craig Kimbrell. So again, sticking with that theme of catching guys coming off of down years and hoping they'll bounce back. Um, you know, I'm I'm perfectly happy to take Edwin Diaz and Craig and Craig Kimbrell in pretty much every draft I do, even knowing that there is some risk. So, you know, in both of our cases, I think there might be a little more upside with my team, but, uh, you know, it's, this team could easily finish last with the way it's built. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of glancing over some other teams to see who took an approach that I preferred to mine. Uh, I like I like Adam Azer's team more than mine. He's always first in the when you're looking at the roster grid because his team name is Adam Azer, A. But yeah, it's 
his pitching staff is Jack Flaherty, Charlie Morton, Clayton Kershaw, Mike Miner, Herman Marquez, Lance McCullers. Those are his six starting pitchers. And it's like he has a better outfield than either of us. He does have the weakest infield of us, but... It's not that bad. Right, right. It's You definitely see, like, Gio Urshela's his corner infielder. Gio Urshela could hit 300 with 30 homers this year in the Yankees lineup. It's, it's completely within the realm of possibility. So uh, I, I think Adam Azer gave himself a better chance of being a top contender in this league than I did. And if you will allow me to say, then, then you did as well. How dare you, <laughs> sir? You know, I'm very proud and I won't stand for it. All right, let's go round by round and kind of look at some of the more interesting picks from the, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can get through the first dozen or so rounds uh, over the next 15 minutes, let's say. So round one, Ronald Acuna, Mike Trout, Christian Yelich, Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger. That's the five. They're going to go top five at worst top six in pretty much every single draft. And so that's where it's at. Uh, then our first surprise, Trevor Story at number six, Francisco Lindor seven, Jacob deGrom eight to Heath Cummings, Garrett Cole nine, Juan Soto 10, Justin Verlander 11, and Max Scherzer 12. Last two picks were you and me. I think there are three picks that stand out here, and I think they're pretty obvious. So let's talk about Trevor Story at number six. Is that I've a seen reach? this in a few places. Yeah, I actually think it makes sense. You've got two years in a row of... He's him and Christian Yelich are the only players over the last two seasons with 70 home runs and 50 plus stolen bases. So right there, that's really good company. And it's not like Trevor Story's going to hurt you in batting average. You know, the, the, the gains that he's made in terms of his contact profile over the last couple of years, plus the fact that Coors Field, you know, is a, is a tide that raises all ships. He's hit 290 each of the last two seasons. He's a, a legitimate five category guy. Yeah, I the thing I struggle with with Trevor's story because the production it's been two years in a row. I, I basically buy it. I think Alex Bregman is a better player, and I think Alex Bregman. I mean, in a points league, it would be no contest. He's a better player. Obviously, yep. this is a roto league. It's the stage. and this is this is this is one of those things I'm struggling with because there's a likelihood Trevor's story gives you 20 steals when Bregman might give you 10. Bregman, to me, is better in every other way. Batting average might be pretty close. Well, Story's been better two years in a row in batting average. Bregman has weirdly been a a lower batting average guy than you would think, given how much contact and power he has. Well, he, he hit for a higher average than Story this past year. Did he? Yeah, 296 versus okay. 294. So it's it's about the same. But in terms of home runs, runs, RBI, definitely give the advantage to Bregman and overall would give the advantage to Bregman. It, it's just really, if when you're playing in a format like the traditional 5x5 five five Roto League that inflates the value of steals in the way it does, it forces you to do things that sometimes don't make a lot of sense. And I think, I think that might include drafting story ahead of Bregman. Well, that's, uh, that's also true of the next guy drafted, Francisco Lindor. You could say the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and they're pretty close. Like, they're both probably going to give you 30-ish home runs, 20-ish steals. It's just story seems to be the higher, the better bet for batting average because of this course field. Mm -hmm. um, Lindor hardly strikes out at all, and I don't think we've seen his best in terms of batting average yet. So it, it's almost a coin flip there for me, but story has technically outperformed him. At least last year he did. I'm not sure about two years ago. And I don't next, think he did two years ago. The next most interesting pick is Jacob deGrom at number eight. The first starting pitcher taken, that was Heath Cummings, who obviously said that, I believe, on, on a podcast last week. Um, I don't agree with it. You know, I think he's in the minority. He's certainly not alone in the industry. But I think in that instance, you're probably drafting floor over ceiling. And I don't think that's the way I want to go at starting pitcher. Yeah, it's usually the way I recommend in the early rounds. I just don't know. I just don't know that I'm that scared of either Verlander or Cole, that, that worried about their floors. Maybe Scherzer because he dealt with some arm issues last year. Like It was a back injury. In terms of per-game production, Cole, Verlander, Scherzer, they were in their own yeah. world last year, and DeGrom wasn't in it. 
I know DeGrom won NL Cy Young, and he had a great year, but he didn't measure up to those three on a per-game basis. So to take him ahead of all three, like you're saying, I I seem like that's a little too risk-averse. Now, let's be fair. Jacob DeGrom only won 11 games last year. He went (laughs) 11 and 9. Yeah. If he won 16 games, it's probably a lot closer. I don't know if sure. that I, I don't know off the top of my head if that clears the gap, but that's a good point. And it's two years in a row, and it is the Mets. And so whatever uh you know mythological forces are conspiring against the Mets at all times could continue to make that happen. But like nobody else on the Mets has had the issue winning games that Jacob deGrom has had, even though he goes deeper into his games than anyone else. Yeah. So no, I it's, think it's definitely it, it isn't just a Mets thing. The Mets aren't a 60 win team. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they won 80 like something games last year. Right. It's it's uh, DeGrom has had exceptionally bad luck with a win loss record last year. And this is this is one of those weird dichotomies in fantasy where the most valuable stat a pitcher can get in both of the standard formats is is a win. And yet it's not one that we really project for at all. No. <laughs> so it's. Yeah, it's it's just it's just a weird thing to wrap your head around sometimes. And then I think the last pick that stands out in the first round is Juan Soto going tenth overall. Um, it's actually only a couple of spots ahead of ADP. I think his ADP is like thirteenth right now. Um, it just it's a little rich. I'm not going to say it's the wrong pick uh, because Juan Soto is a 21 year old historic player. I think he has the third most home runs uh, for any player before turning 22 in major league or before turning 21 in major league history. So it's, it's not to bet against him, but you know, when we get to the second round and you took Freddie Freeman at 14th, if Juan Soto has a 2020, like Freddie Freeman's 2019, that would be a resounding success. I think a lot of what it is, and and it, it seems to be a trendy thing to do to take Soto late in round two, round one among industry types. And I kind of scratched my head over it. Okay, you're you're assuming you must be assuming he's taking another step forward. Then I, I don't think it's as much that as the 12 stolen bases he contributed last sure. year really make that big of a difference over somebody who has like five. And he went 12 for 13 in steals, so maybe they're even projecting some room for improvement in that category from Soto. It almost all anytime there's a head scratcher for me with the hitter, it almost always comes back to stolen bases. But Freddie Freeman did steal. He only stole six last year, but he stole 10 the year before. Yeah. So he, he's not a zero there. So that that's the one where when I look at, you know, they outfield versus first base makes a little bit of a difference, but not a ton. It just, it, it seems like you're sort of outsmarting yourself. And Freddie Freeman was the better fantasy player last season as well. Moving on to the second round, and that started off with me taking Trey Turner you taking Freddie Freeman, then Walker Bueller, Alex Bregman, Nolan Arenado, Jose Ramirez, Fernando Tatis, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber, Steven Strasburg, Jack Flaherty, and Rafael Devers. Like I said, more starting pitchers in the first two rounds this year than you'll you've seen, at least as far as I can remember. You know, I think that was nine or ten starting pitchers taken in the first uh, twenty-four picks, which is not something we're used to. Uh, what picks stand out? Walker Bueller at 15th overall as the number five starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sitting here. I'm okay with it. I guess I'm having to admit I'm okay with it based on the way pitching played out for me. Because I'm sitting here trying to think in the alternate world where I took Trey Turner 11th overall, as I said I should have done, instead of Justin Verlander. Okay, I no longer have the pitcher banked already. I have Trey Turner. What would your next two picks have been if, if Verlander was on the board? I don't think I would have gone Verlander Scherzer, but I actually thinking back, that might have been my plan. I, I was, I think I might have been thinking about going pitcher pitcher. So then I would have I've had to done. take Walker Bueller, who was ever next in my rankings. It, may, it probably was like Shane Bieber. I would have had to take him 14th overall, or go the first two rounds without a pitcher. Uh, neither of which seems like a great scenario to me. In a points league, yeah, I'd, I'd for sure take Bieber if if I had already used my first-round pick on a hitter. But in a roto league, it would be awfully hard to pass up like Freeman and Bregman and Arenado for Shane Bieber, yeah. you know? 
And maybe I want it. Maybe it's just picking 11th, 10th. is just not a spot I want to have in this player pool. Mm-hmm. Um, because then when it gets back around to you, all the pitchers that have gone off the board, Walker Bueller, uh, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber, Steven Strasburg, Jack Flaherty, the ones you already mentioned from this round. But then you got to go through the whole next round, too. Only one starting pitcher in the next Only round. Only one happened so to go, Sale. Chris Sale. But it could have been a lot worse. So the next, so if I had gone hitter, hitter, Trey Turner and, let's say, Freddie Freeman with my first two picks, and then in round three, the best pitcher I would have been looking at would have been Patrick Corbin, it looks like. Would I have been satisfied with Patrick Corbin as my ace? I would have had to go very heavy on pitching the next few rounds for sure. Yeah. And maybe that would be fine. Maybe Corbin, you know, maybe rather than investing in a Scherzer or Verlander type you get, you know, four more or less, four guys who are more or less aces, even if they're not quite at that super high end level. Uh, that'd probably be preferable to what I ended up doing. And we're going on four straight years now of Patrick Corbin staying healthy. Um, right. 33, 32 starts, 33 appearances in three straight seasons. 2016, only 155 innings, but that was, he was moved in and out of the rotation. He made 24 starts, 36 appearances. I believe he was healthy the whole season. Um, So there's not really a concern. 200 innings, two straight years, 238 or more strikeouts, two straight years, and a low three ZRA. Mm -hmm. That's an ace. You know, it's not a super ace, but but that's production that you're happy with. um, Right. You know, It's just I couldn't, and I'm saying I shouldn't have done this anyway, even drafting Verlander. I couldn't relax on pitching. Yeah after taking Corbin as my ace. So either way, that would have been true. So that probably would have been... I'm kind of just thinking this through in real time here. That probably would have been the way I should have gone with my first two picks. Trey Turner at the end of round one. Verlander or Scherzer if they were there in round two, but if not, a second hitter, and then just go really heavy on pitching for the next few rounds after that. All right, and then two more quick questions about round two on consecutive players. Jose Ramirez, number 18. Real quick, are you just... You're you're fine with Jose Ramirez now? Yes. Second half of the season, he looked like the guy he was. He admitted that he was trying to beat the shift uh, too much, and it was causing him to not hit for power, and it wasn't resulting in you know, an increase in, in batting average to go along with it. It just kind of messed up his swing. Yep. And he, he said that he went away from that in the second half, and lo and behold, he looked like Jose Ramirez again. Yep. And then Fernando Tatis, number 19. I know he's one of your busts. Yeah. You just... The, the expected stats from StatCast especially uh, cast him in a pretty harsh light. Yeah, his BABIP I think was 414 last year. Woo! And the XBA was less than 260. And he kind of stopped running for... He, was de- he did deal with a hamstring injury. Yes, but that wasn't the dividing line of when he... Mm-hmm. Like, he came back from that injury and was running like normal. And then okay. over the last six weeks of the season, he just kind of stopped running. So I always worry about that with middle-of-the-order hitters. How long are they going to be willing to risk themselves on the base paths? How long are their teams willing to risk themselves on the base paths like that? And, uh, you know, I, I definitely see a scenario where he bottoms out. And bottoming out for him would probably mean something like Jorge Polanco production. Mm-hmm. But it would still obviously be a poor use of a second round pick. All right. Third round. I think I spot my favorite value of the draft so far, but let's go through it and see if you can identify which one. I mean, JD Martinez at number 25, Charlie Blackman, Anthony Rendon, Bryce Harper, Starling Marte, Aaron judge, George Springer, Chris sale, Glaber Torres, Jose Altuve, Xander Bogarts, and Jordan Alvarez. Who do you think is my pick for the best value? Gotta be Rendon, right? Love it. 27th overall. When you've got, you know, Nolan Arenado going 17th, Alex Bregman going 16th. They were the same guy last year. Mm-hmm. And yes, it was a breakout for Anthony Rendon, but guess what? It was a breakout for Alex Bregman too last year. And so the fact that there's an 11-pick gap between those two guys, I think the top three third basemen are basically even. Yeah. Yeah, there there are some more question marks surrounding Arenado than... I'm sorry, surrounding Rendon than Arenado and Bregman, but... But the batted um, ball data all backs up the breakout. It does. And he's moving and, to 
a worse lineup overall, but probably a better lineup spot, either hitting in front of or behind Mike Trout. It's a great right. spot. You love to be there. Right. No, I agree. I My initial rankings for Roto actually had Rendon going in the first round. Mm-hmm. I've since dropped it to dropped him to the second round, but to get him in the third round, I think is, is just crazy value. And the kind that would be, if I found him there in round three, I'd have a really hard time passing up him up for a pitcher. Like I want to do that would, that would definitely test my enthusiasm for this new approach that I'm proposing. All right. Round four, moving on Tell Marte to me, Patrick Corbin to you, then Ozzy Albies, Blake Snell, Luis Castillo, Austin Meadows, Lucas Giolito, Pete Alonzo, Javier Baez, Jonathan VR, Charlie Morton, and Aaron Nola. Who's your your least favorite pick of this round? My least favorite pick is probably uh, I'm gonna say Javier Baez. Interesting. Yeah. Shortstop is incredibly deep and high end talent. Stolen bases weren't there last year. The stolen the way they bases were the year weren't before. there. In which case, he's just another slugging shortstop, which I guess sounds kind of funny, but that's that's where we are at sh- with shortstop now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can find you can find much more in demand items here in round four than that. So yeah, definitely would pass a bias here. I'd even pass pass him up for VR probably. Yeah, I mean that VR is highly dependent on your team build. But he's someone I'm I'm happy to take in round four. I'm probably passing both of them up for the pitchers available in this round, though. Yeah, I don't love... I'm going to come out as anti-Pete Alonzo for the 2020 season. I think we might have seen the the real Pete Alonzo in the second half. I believe he hit 235. Um, I think there's a pretty decent chance... Like, he's going to hit for power. There's no question. But he might be sort of a one-dimensional slugger. And that's my concern. You know, early in the season, he was hitting like 280 in the first half. And, you know, it looked like, wow, he's actually going to be a really, you know, a robust all-around player. I would think he's probably more like a 245, 250 hitter. And there's just, power isn't rare enough for me to reach for for that kind of skill set at this point. Moving on to round five, we start off with Keston Hira. Clayton Kershaw, Zach Greinke, Luis Severino, Whit Merrifield, Matt Olson, Chris Bryant, Noah Syndergaard, Adalberto Mondesi, Eugenio Suarez, Joey Gallo, and Vladimir Guerrero. To me, what's the most interesting pick in this in this round? The most interesting pick. Okay, uh, I would say the most interesting is not good or bad. Just the one that that you think Justin stands. Hira. 49th overall, Keston Hira was awesome when he got called up last season. Not the a huge sample. He was awesome. Yes. <laughs> um, but put up numbers that were not dissimilar from what um, Fernando Tatis did. You know, should be a good source of power and speed. That's the expectation, at least. And he was last year. 84 games, 19 homers, 9 stolen bases, hit 303. But. There's a big butt there. 103 strike, 107 strikeouts in 84 games. That 303 average looks really, really unsustainable. It looks more sustainable than Fernando Tatis's batting average, too. They both have a similar strikeout problem, Keston Hira and uh, Fernando Tatis, but the way Hira impacts the ball mm-hmm. lends itself more to a high BABIP than, than Tatis. So while Tatis's XBA was like 259 or something like that, Hira's was 266, definitely better. Um, and the difference too is three rounds here, right? In this draft, and I've seen Keston Hira go like as late as round seven in a 12-team roto draft. So yeah. the difference could even be bigger than that. I'm much more open to drafting Hira than I am Tatis. And like you said, the the contributions... Even in the most likely scenario, you know, I, I, I put Tatis on my bust list more because this is what his floor looks like and it's kind of a scary floor. Mm-hmm. But even if we're just talking about the most likely scenario for these two players, Tatis and Hira, it's probably pretty similar. Yeah. All right, moving on to round six. 
Anthony Rizzo, DJ LeMayhew, Bo Bichette, the Bounty Hunter, Giancarlo Stanton, Gary Sanchez, Chris Paddock, Jeff McNeil, Tyler Glasnow, Hugh Darvish, Paul Goldschmidt, Max Muncy, and Josh Hader, our first relief pitcher taken. Oh, and I guess at this point, we are not really expecting him to be traded. There was some talk about that earlier in the offseason. I think the Yankees were actually uh, somehow one of the teams interested because they don't have enough relievers. But at this point, it seems like Josh Hader is going to stay in Milwaukee. Do we expect them to keep him in that closers role all year? Or do we think they're... Because my, my thought is they prefer to have a closer and then to have Josh Hader. Yeah. I My thought was, too. I, would, I, I was surprised that they, uh, they ended up conceding so early last season that Josh Hader needed to be their main source of saves last year. Uh, but I guess they realized even quicker than I did that they didn't really have anybody else. And it doesn't look like they have many great alternatives in their bullpen even yeah. now. Corey Knebel working his way back from Tommy John surgery, but it doesn't sound like he'll be ready for opening day. I think Hayter's a pretty safe bet. I mean, he's my number one reliever, so obviously I'm still counting on him to get saves. I think even if it's even if it's kind of a timeshare, you know, Hayter excels in so many other distances himself from the rest of the relief pack in so many other ways that he doesn't necessarily need to have like a league leading save total to be number one or at least in that vicinity. Yeah. The strikeouts especially. Um, this might be a little earlier than I'd be willing to take him. But... To me, it's like when you get to a point where you can no longer count on the starting pitcher you're drafting to be of a real advantage in strikeouts, then maybe you look at somebody like Hader to do that. Yeah. All right, round seven. Let's try to go through these last three rounds real quick and then close out the show with some emails. Ramon Laureano, number 73, JT Realmuto, Eloy Jimenez, Mike Moustakas, Yoan Mancata, Kirby Yates, Manny Machado, Carlos Correa, James Paxton, Trevor Bauer, Josh Bell, and Corey Kluber. I know Manny Machado is one of your busts for the 2020 season. He was my bust pick for third base as well. Who would you prefer, Manny Machado or Carlos Correa? I'd prefer Correa, I think. I don't expect to have too many shares of either. Okay. I've drafted uh, a decent amount of Carlos Correa in the, in the few drafts I've done so far. Yeah, I think with Correa, it's mostly a health question. And with Machado, there are legitimate performance concerns. And that's that's why I'd take Correa. I mean, Correa's health issues at being his back are kind of beginning to raise performance concerns, I think, for a lot of people, which is why he tends to last so long. Yeah. I think he's barely a top 100 player, according to ADP. But I, 91st, I have a little yeah. more hope for him than that. All right, round eight, Carlos Carrasco to me, Marcus Simeon to you. And I feel like you and I are going to trade off Marcus Simeon this season <laughs> in our draft. So you like Marcus Simeon, the rare mid-career breakout that Chris likes. Yeah, I just I think most of the stuff backs it up. And the biggest thing for me is you don't have to pay. I don't like, I'm fine with the mid-career breakout if I don't have to pay face value for that breakout. In Marcus Simeon's case, you don't. He was For most of them, you don't. For DJ LeMahieu, you don't. Face value. I mean, DJ LeMahieu was like sure, a second rounder. But last Marcus year. Simeon's going later than a couple him. rounds. Um, Jose Abreu, Roberto Ozuna. So we've started to see some relief pitchers go off the board. Jose Barrios, 89th to Heath Cummings, Sonny Gray, Tommy Pham, Nelson Cruz, Reese Hoskins, Aroldis Chapman, Josh Donaldson, and Brandon Woodruff. And it's just going to be like the fifth year in a row where Nelson Cruz provides a huge return on his investment, right? Like we have, we, it is unless it isn't. We've seen right. no deterioration of the skill set so far. Yes, he is ancient, but it doesn't. It 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 can happen suddenly. It can. It, it's not always a gradual decline into irrelevance. That's Sometimes true. It, the skills are just gone. But he had arguably bruises. his best season last year, and there was yeah. nothing fluky about it. Um, yeah, it's probably going to be a great value. It's certainly worth the risk it in round eight. And, and then. Yeah, I find Reese Hoskins at number 93 interesting because I sort of buy into a Reese Hoskins uh, bounce back season, but when I actually look at the underlying numbers, I have no reason to buy into a Reese Hoskins <laughs> bounce back season. Like He was 
putrid last year. And it wasn't bad luck. He just wasn't good. So it's more betting on the pedigree, betting on the the park and the lineup, and just assuming he'll be better next year. I'm not even sure you can count on pedigree with him because he wasn't like some highly regarded sure. prospect. He he became a known prospect because he was putting up such great numbers in the minors the year he got called up, but it's not like he was a name just based on skills before that. And maybe we're seeing why now. He just doesn't impact the ball hard enough to get away with elevating it in the extreme way that he does. And elevating it like he does is what leads to so many home runs, but it crushes his batting and, average potential. And I think the biggest thing with him, it's... Um, I'm trying to think. I think Alex Chamberlain um, has talked about this. He just has a really wide launch angle. Like, he's got this you know, really high launch angle that makes you think, well, he's going to hit for power. But then if you actually look at it, he just, he hits the ball really inconsistently. And so I'm hoping that he kind of tightens it up. Um, he does hit for power. I mean, he had what, 29 home runs yeah, last year. Yeah, but it's not, it's not enough to make up for the deficiencies. Yeah, it isn't. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a points league, it might be because he still managed a 364 on base percentage. Yeah. I think he led the NL in walks, but at some point you got to feel like that, just if, if if pitchers aren't afraid of him, that might start to drop off too. All right, round nine, Victor Robles. That actually, that looks like a great value based on ADP. He's going about 20 picks earlier. So 97th overall is a, a really good get for him, a guy who's really trendy in the fantasy community. Then Brad Hand, Mike Soroka, Matt Chapman, Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Trey Mancini, Jorge Soler, Andrew Benintendi, Michael Conforto, Max Kepler, and Edwin Diaz, and we talked about Max Kepler in the Outfield Tears episode. Didn't really get into Michael Conforto. Is Michael Conforto just a good version of a Jag? A good version of a Jag? Like, does he really stand out in 2020? Like, he's coming off two consecutive seasons where he's hit about 30 home runs, hit about 250, 260, 250, Last year, about 180 combined RBI and, and runs, not quite that much the year before. What does he do that stands out? What is it you would say that he does here? I think it's around the margins. I mean, the fa- it's kind of, it's kind of a, like Mitch Hanniger two years ago. You probably could have said the same thing about him. The overall production ended up good, but when you broke it down, it's like, where does this guy really excel? I think Conforto is kind of the same way. But he at least, walks a lot. At least which, Mitch Hanniger had hit 280 two years in a row, and he he stole eight bases. Conforto doesn't even give you that. Well, I stole seven, Conforto, so not that different. But, That's one few. But yeah, the batting average, there's a difference there. Conforto hit more home runs than Haneker did two years ago. It's really, it's really when you factor in, okay, he had 90 runs, 90 RBI, which I think was also the case for Haneker two years ago, and how likely is he to repeat that again? Well, with that home run total in the spot in the lineup where he's probably going to hit, the RBI is probably repeatable. The runs, with as much as he walks, probably repeatable. So th- that's kind of where he stands out, less so than the typical, the areas where we typically look for, um, particularly when we're identifying like breakout candidates, where we look for look at the, the the skill indicators, I guess. Like I said on yesterday's show, I feel like as long as Mark Canna maintains an everyday job and going into the year there's no reason to think he won't i think he's basically going to be michael conforto so yeah i'd, I'd rather not pay up for conforto as well yeah it was just that was something that struck me i was actually i was walking into you know walking around the streets on my way into work today and i just i was listening to something and it it struck me like is conforto that good and it, it i don't know he just he seems fine not someone you that I would. Listening to something about Conforto, or were you just like listening to music and had this sudden? No, I think I, I was listening to a podcast, and oh. he, and so he was mentioned in passing, and it just made me think. Like I haven't really thought much about Michael Conforto, and then I looked into it, and it's just like I, I don't I don't know. It doesn't seem like the kind of guy I'm going to draft much yeah. at this point. And then let's close out with round ten. I grabbed Ke- Craig Kimbrell at 109. Uh, paired him with Edwin Diaz at the end of the previous round, so I'm going for the bounce back with both of those guys. I think, you know, Diaz, his struggles were out of nowhere. 
Craig Kimbrell's, I think, makes sense. He didn't have a spring training. He didn't sign until June. Yeah, he was the skill set was declining prior to last year, but he was still excellent in twenty nine in twenty eighteen. So I'm sort I, of willing to give him a total mulligan for last year. There's a point to a broader point to be made here though, that at the nine ten turn in a twelve team league, we're already having to look at risky options like Edwin Diaz and Craig Kimbrell for saves. Oh, closer is last year. Closer was a disaster. I wrote my relief pitcher preview and you know, I think the leading, the leader in saves had fewer saves than each of the top three guys the year before. Uh, Pretty much all of the high drafted closers last year underperformed. It was a, an absolute bloodbath at the position. But the good thing is the prices have come way down on pretty much everyone. This year, you know, the last couple of years, we've been used to guys going in the 50 range. You know, that's when you'd start to see those elite closers come off the board. The the Craig Kimbrels and the Edwin Diaz, D.I., and the Aroldis Chapmans, and everybody's, you know, sort of just slotted down. And it actually does make me more willing to to buy my closers, you know, in this range. I'm not going to pay up super high, but... The, the really high upside guys who don't have any concerns about their role, uh, who are coming off bad seasons like Edwin Diaz and Craig Kimbrell, I'll take them at, at the around 110. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, I, I find myself waiting a little longer and usually still getting Ken Giles, mm-hmm. who I guess you could question the saves potential since the Blue Jays were so bad last year. I think the Blue Jays will be a little better this year. Yeah. And I think just in terms of how I expect him to perform. Giles seems safer to me than either of these two. The rest of the round, a ton of starting pitchers starting off two catchers though. Wilson Contreras, Yasmani Grandal, Chris Davis, Kenley Jansen, Zach Wheeler, Shohei Otani, Frankie Montas, Max Fried, Lance Lynn, David Dahl, and Jesus Lazardo. I assume you're with me in loving Frankie Montas at that value, 116th overall. Yes. Yes, in retrospect, I clearly should have taken him instead of Wilson Contreras. <laughs> yeah, no, that would have helped. All right, let's do one more round. We'll have to punt on emails until tomorrow. I'm very sorry about that, but you know these mock drafts can, can take up some time. So round 11 starts off with Eduardo Rodriguez, Marcelo Zuna, Tommy Edmond. That's an interesting one. Liam Hendricks, Mitch Garver, Zach Gallen. Kevin Biggio, Taylor Rogers, Joey Votto, Madison Bumgarner, Hyunjin Ryu, and Michael Brantley. Last two picks were you and me, respectively. And this is a really interesting one. I think my favorite pick in this range is probably Zach Gallen, who feels like, uh, you know, that's actually not far from where he's going in ADP. He went 126, his ADP is 123. I like him a lot more than that. I don't know about you. Well, I was going to take him in round, what was it, round eight of our head-to-head mock yesterday. This is round 11, obviously a different format. Um, He got taken before I could. And I was going to take him as my sixth starting pitcher in a a league where you can only start five. In round eight, I was going to take him. So that that tells you how I feel about Zach Gallen. I think there's definitely a subside there. And... uh, you know, if you're not having to rely on him as your number two or number three, it's it's worth investing in. In this round, my eyes immediately go to the scarcities as the players that I want the most, and that is uh, Gallon, as you said, the potential high-end starting pitcher. Uh, Tommy Edmond, who looks like a good steal source, and Mitch Garver, who's a catcher who can actually hit. I don't I don't buy it. I'm not on the Mitch Garver train this year. That's one of the ones that just, I know all of the underlying stats back it up, but we're talking about like, did he even get 300 plate appearances last year? Oh yeah, he got 300, yeah. He didn't have many. I know there was a point where they were playing him at first base. I don't think he's first base eligible, but you wouldn't use him anyway. He had Um, 359 plate appearances and hit 31 home runs and had a 9 He was awesome last year. Uh, he had 335 plate appearances in 2018 and had a 749 OPS and hit seven home runs. Right. It's not like he didn't have a productive, particularly late minor league career. He had a 928 OPS 
in his last minor league season, AAA. That was before they introduced the 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 drag resistant balls there. So he hit 291 with 17 homers, 928 OPS, and 372 plate appearances his last year at AAA. And that was really when the breakout happened for Garver. And then I I just I just look at the start to his major league career as just an adjustment period where he wasn't playing all that regularly. And last year was really more when he kind of came into his own. No, you're not buying it? No. No. Okay. Fool, don't, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a fool. I'm not going to fall for this. I'm not going to fall for the, the good well, 80 games. There's I'm very too smart little for to that. get excited about after Garver's gone. Buster Posey. Buster oh, Posey, come baby. Oh, come on. Buster Posey and Steven Vogt. That's my catcher combo. Buster Posey's going to be a backup come July. You're going to be a backup come July. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was mean. What are you Scott, saying? Nothing. Should I be updating my resume? Chris? No, you're the starter. You're my star. <laughs> you're the cleanup hitter. You're the okay. point guard. You're the quarterback. I don't know why I struggled finding the football one. The football one's probably the most obvious one. Probably. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Scott and I will be back on Friday. So we'll see you then. 